Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me as always is Joshua Gray. Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We have a really exciting topic to talk about today. Um, We've had a number of VA representatives here, um, you know, throughout the, the history of this show, but we've never had a a veteran here to tell his story. And today we got that for the first time. Well, that's great. And uh, you know, it's it's appropriate for the time because uh, next Wednesday, March 29th, will be the 50th anniversary of the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Vietnam. Uh, so the U.S. actions in Vietnam, of course, for everyone who hasn't read history or hasn't experienced it, um, you know, it began in the early 1950s and expanded into the introduction of combat forces in 1965. Uh, the conflict continued until January of 1973, which is when uh, representatives from the U.S. and Vietnam signed a peace agreement in Paris to bring troops, the U.S. troops home over the next several months. So March 29, 1973 was when the last military unit left Vietnam. Of course, everyone remembers the fall of Saigon in 75, but officially the last U.S. military unit left in 1973. So in 2012, when President Obama signed a presidential proclamation de- declaring the, uh, the anniversary of the uh, Vietnam Veterans Day as March 29th, um, this year will mark the 50th anniversary of that. So it's a, it's a really monumental day, I think, and um, you know, an opportunity for us to, to really talk about a topic that's near and dear to the hearts of, of a lot of us here at the VA. So with that said, joining us today, we have Paul Solid Jr. And he is a Vietnam veteran, and we'd like to welcome you. And we also have Chris Fairchild, I'm sorry, Fairweather. And he is the, uh, he's a counselor with the Vietnam Veteran Support Group here. So gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Really appreciate that. I said thank you. Appreciate How are you doing for having us? Doing great, doing great. Good. So Paul, let's talk a little bit about where you're from and what led you into the Army? Well, I'm from New Orleans, and what led me to the Army is my, my uncle. He enticed me to go to the service. He said all the, all the people in our family joined the service, right? So I, I decided to go. What year did you join? I went in 1967. 67. So you joined before a lot of the people started getting drafted then? Yes, sir. What did it mean to you to join as opposed to being drafted? Well, I felt like it was, uh, my, it, 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 as a citizen, I felt it was my duty to join the service for the fight for our country. That's what I felt like, you know, I wanted to do. Because my uncle enticed me, you know, that was the thing for the do. So I felt that was the best thing for me to do, join the service. So did you already know about the Vietnam conflict? No, I didn't really understand about the Vietnam conflict. I heard about my, because my uncle told me about the Korean conflict and stuff like that, but I didn't know nothing about the Vietnam conflict at the time. You know. What did you hear from your uncle from about Korea? Well, he just told me that Korea was the, I mean, the service itself was placed to, you know, join and represent the, 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 the family and, and, and do something good for the country. You know, and I felt like that was my duty as a, as a citizen of the United States, to join the service. So you really had like the, the call of patriotism then is really yeah, much the time, yeah. To it. Yeah. yeah. So what did you do in the army? What was your job? I was uh eleven Bravo, that's uh infantryman. And uh I joined when I joined in, I joined as a airborne ranger. I wanted to be a ranger for the gun hole, you know, rah rah, you know. 
But uh, after I went to jump school, I bummed out of jump school because uh, I hurt my ankle jumping out of the, uh, the, 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 the 50, 150-foot tower. I hurt my ankle, and they told me I wasn't qualified to be an Avon trainer, a ranger, so I had to be on their infantry. Was that discouraging? Uh, not really. You know, I mean, I felt like I was uh, accomplishing something for the country, doing the work for the country, so it, it wasn't really discouraging. I didn't think about it like that then, you know. So you're still excited to serve as, a, as an yes, infantryman. 11 Bravo, I mean, that's that's the heart of the Army, right? Right, exactly. So when you got done with your basic boot camp and went through AIT school, what did you did you know that you were going to Vietnam? Yeah, after I after jump school, they told me I was going to go to Vietnam, you know. So I went home on leave for 30 days or whatever. And uh, after that, I was kind of excited to be going overseas because when, when I left, my home go to Vietnam. The majority of the guys out there were telling me I was going to die and all that foolishness. But I just, no, I don't think so. You so know, you, you were optimistic? Yes, sir. You were, were you excited yeah. to go to Vietnam? I was, uh, let me see how old it was when I went into service. Uh, 19, almost 20, I think, somewhere in that, that area. And I was, just, I was just excited to go fight for the country. That, that's how I felt, you know. Cause I could, before that, I went to the job corps. And stuff, you know, because I dropped out of school. But I was trying to do something for myself, make myself, because people were telling me I was going to be in prison for I made 19 years old. My, my aunt never told me that. And I wanted to prove everybody wrong. You know, because uh, I felt like I had a purpose, you know, and serving the country was a purpose. So when you first left on that plane to go to Vietnam, what through, went, went through your mind? I was anticipating. I didn't really understand what I was getting into. You know, I mean, I'm on a plane and they tell me we're gonna fight a war and I don't really know. I, went, I know I've been to basic training and all that stuff and training, but I didn't anticipate what it was about, what it was like till I, till I land, till we got there. What was it like when you landed finally? Well, actually, when I got to the, the camp we was at, we had to catch the helicopter to go in the field. And that experience, I didn't, we didn't land because we had to jump out the helicopter about 40, 50 feet in the air. And that was uh, that was experience itself because I almost got killed because uh, they had uh, bamboo sticking up because they made it, they cleared the field. They, they didn't clear it all the way because they were fighting. It was a uh, hot LZ. Oh, so there was active fighting going yes, on when you were landing. When I was landing, time. yeah. So I had to jump out the helicopter. And, and if I don't maneuver my body in the air, I'd have got killed because my pack stuck on the, the, the bamboo that was sticking up. And I piece, uh, 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 the bamboo stuck through my uh, my pack and a, a can of sea rations. So you almost never even made it onto the ground. Exactly right, you know, by the grace of God, you know. So I got to look at it that way, you know. Because when I went, when I landed, they told me to go over here. There's a bunch of bushes we had to go through, and everybody was over there. They were relaxed because guys were smoking marijuana and stuff like this, and and I was. Dirty because I had my, my my weapon. I had a M16, but it wasn't loaded with no bullets, so I had to go get some bullets and all this stuff, you know. And bullets were flying, but they made me comfortable. And that was all in your first, very first time landing yeah, in Vietnam. Exactly. Wow. Did you feel prepared for that? No. No. Because yeah, I was like I said, I was nervous, and the guys just helped me because they've been in the ones who've been in it before. They explained to me what was happening and. 
just be cool and relaxing. We got you and all this stuff, you know. They, 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 they blow me, they, of course, they, they give me a pipe full of weed, tell me to smoke that and calm me down. So that helped a little bit too, you know, so. Was that pretty commonplace amongst yes. the soldiers? Yes, yes, yeah. Because they was mostly uh, 19, 20 years old fighting in the war. They ain't never been in the war. I don't know nothing about no war, you know. But that's how we got through this stuff. They would, you know, and they had drinking. They would, they would liquor. They would supply us with liquor and all that stuff too. The commerce, you know, to help us to make that transition. Because that was a different transition from civilian life to war life, you know. <laughs> How how important is that kind of that instant brotherhood, right? Like you 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 land, you're the new guy, and you know we're all veterans here. You kind of razz the new guy a little bit, but you know you're you're almost instantly family, um, and it's a lot different when you're in, you're in a combat situation. So tell me a little bit about that, like that instant brotherhood. You land there, and you know you're you're part of the team instantly. Well, because we depending on each other, even though I'm a new guy. The rest of the guys then they want me to do nothing crazy to help get, get one of them killed. So I got to be on my toes. They got to help me understand the transition I'm making. See, I'm making a new transition. This is something new. I ain't never did this. You know, and they got to make sure, hey, you got to have your stuff together to keep us together. You know what I'm saying? Because we're going to help you. You got to help us too. That was so, that transition was uh, pretty, pretty cool for me because I was able to adjust to it. So how long were you there when you, for the, how many tours of Vietnam did you do? This one. Just one. And how long was that tour? Well, the, the tour, was, I think, was, what, 13 months? Something like that. I'm doing that, but it so was. you spent yeah. over a year in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. Was every day like that? Well, I guess that's the, I can say, yeah, because you're anticipating stuff. You're anticipating getting shot. Or somebody getting shot, or a bump going off, or... Rockets coming in, we anticipating all this every day, you know. But we, you know, we don't know. We got to be on the high. We high. We on high alert every day. You know what I'm saying. How would you describe like the passage of time for for somebody who's you know in jungle for 13 months and you're experiencing combat almost on a daily basis? You know, do you do you count the days while you're there till you get to leave, or are you just taking it one moment at a time? Well, actually, taking one moment at a time because you just you know you just living each day for whatever happened. You know, you, you, you're preparing for the worst to happen. You know what I'm saying? But you, you got to be prepared. Because so, one time I went on, 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 on a patrol, and I was a squad leader over seven men. We're going to uh, set up an ambush. But we got an ambush. See? And by me being a squad leader, I never did this before either, but instincts and and God's ability gave me the opportunity to understand what I had to do. Because the first guy, he was a point man, he got shot. So I had to put him on my back and hold him and, and let him shoot and, and, and keep moving because they wanted to stop. Everybody said, no, we got to go We got to go back. No, we ain't got to go back. We had to go forward. If we go back, we're going to run into the, the ambush was set for us. We going to set up an ambush, but we ran into one. If we went back, it was an L shape. So with the, the time that you were there, you know, when you first came in, I'm assuming you were a private when you first yeah. got there. Yeah. Um, so in short order, you became a, a, a squad leader. Well, yeah, because uh, the, some of the guys that, that were there earlier, they got killed. And, and and so they had to put, you know, people that thought they were qualified to do this, so they put me up and made me a squad leader. Uh -huh. 
What was it like when you had to kind of transition your mindset into, okay, not only am I fighting, but now I'm responsible for the lives of the men with me? Well, see, it was, uh, I got to take care of these guys. You like they took care of me. See? Because if I don't take care of them, what's going to happen to me? You got to take care of each fella. Because, you know, we depend, our lives depend on each other. If you do something wrong, that's going to cause me to suffer. If I do something wrong, same thing. But we got to have that, that camaraderie for each other and that, each other back. For instance, when, one time I went on on a uh, patrol and uh, we ran into a minefield. And the plane man just got off because he was tired. I told him, because he was seven, again, seven squad, member squad. And I was the squad leader and, and everybody had a position to do. And the, and the plane man tired, so I took his place. So when he moved out the way, he I walk about a, a half a step or two, I step on a land landmine. Now I got to think. I can't, you know. I'm, I'm thinking of what I'm doing, and I'm going through. Cause I told the dude, I said, "You go out here, on that side. Watch, watch that part. You go in the, that rear, that side. And one go in the rear, and one guy give me a, a rock, and one give me a bayonet. You know what I'm saying? And I made it. What to do? And behind doing this, I, I saved a squad. Cause uh, I had to take the, the bayonet, make sure it wasn't booby trap. Then I got the rock to put on top of the pin, to hold the pin down, so I could take the the miner loose. Cause you knew that if you stepped off of it, it was gonna. Die. Oh, it's gonna blow up. It's gonna kill me and the rest of them too. So I got to make a, you know, and then I didn't think about it. I just reacted to it. But your reaction was to actually think through the process. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm thinking as I'm, as I'm, as I'm reacting. Mm-hmm. I can't just think about what I'm gonna do, you know. But I'm reacting and thinking at the same time. Do you remember what through, what went through your head when you realized you just stepped on a landmine? I got disarm this thing. <laughs> that's that's the first thing that popped in my head. I got disarm this thing. If I don't, if I step off, I'm gonna die, and the, and the crew gonna die. So, you know, I gotta take care of that. I mean, for, to have the presence of mind as a 20 year old to realize that, you know, I just stepped on a landmine. I need to do it. I need to do all of these things to make sure no one else dies. You know, that's an incredible presence of mind and an incredible amount of, of uh, you know, grace under fire. <laughs> well, I'm gonna put it to you like this: It was God's grace and mercy to give me that wisdom and the knowledge to react like that on under fire. Cause that, that, that was under fire, you know. And as I thought about it, I smoke. I'm about to smoke about the smoking at the time. I was smoking about I don't know how many cigarettes. A pack and a half or two or whatever that that, that time period to, to do all this. I don't know how long it took me to do this, but that's that's the mindset I had. I was smoking cigarettes, and when I got to doing it, I called the company and told the company commander and told him what happened, so they can't send out the mine sweep and and came and swept the rest of the minefield and brought us home. At the time, or or shortly after, were you able to like reflect on like? How close to death you really were? Nah, you don't. You don't. You, you don't reflect on. You don't reflect on that kind of stuff. Cause you still in the war zone. You don't think about what could have been. See what I'm saying? You're working on what's happening now and what might happen in the future. That's what you're thinking about. You don't think. Cause I know I didn't think about. You know how close I was. No. Mm. So, so when do you think about that? Like, when is it on the plane ride home? Is it like, like when do you do you kind of finally decompress all of what just went on? That's it. When you're coming back on a plane ride, 
Because you, while you're over there, you can't think about these kind of things. Because you're letting your guard down when you do that. Because you're thinking about what could have happened, and next thing you know, it might happen. You know what I'm saying? Because like, like another incident happened. We, was, uh, we got hit by the NBA, right? It was most like an overrun thing. And the, v, the v, NBA was all around us, and one guy came into the bunker. He first he threw a hand grenade in the bunker. One of the guys took the hand grenade and got on top of the bunker, the hand grenade to keep everybody from dying. So after we kill him, we pull him in and kill him, throwing him out of the bunker. Within, what, five, ten seconds, I think it was longer than that, the hand grenade didn't go off. The one of the guys wanted to keep it for a souvenir. I said, no, give me that thing. I took it and threw it out of the bunker, and it blew up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I said, give credit to God, grace and mercy, you know, and credit for giving me the wisdom to do this stuff. So, yeah, that was one of the situations that happened. And they had a lot of other more things that happened to me personally. Because we were coming back out of combat, we were trying to go back in the rear. And helicopter was coming in. And everybody was getting on the helicopter. And when I got on the helicopter, there were too many people. So it had to, I had to get off. Once I got off, Helicopter went up in the air about 40 feet, blow it up. Rocket hit it. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. Grace and God's grace and mercy. And then a lot of things happened that the guys all asked about, do you have any survivor's remorse? No. Who am I to question what God allow? See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's it was life. I mean, you don't know what's gonna happen when you're in combat. You know, you don't know what's gonna happen. You know, one thing you you trying to do everything right to keep your fellow man and yourself from getting hurt. You know, you talked a little bit about the brotherhood that you guys share. It's you guys, you know, you knew you had to rely on each other right. to get by. What was the general attitude towards higher leadership? All depends. Like one incident we had, it was a it was a uh, captain. Captain, he was good, but lieutenant, he was a uh, fresh out of OCS. Off the training school, right? And he gone home. We was in the firefight. He out about everybody fixed Ben in online. Hold him up, sir. We don't do that kind of stuff out here. No, you know. And we had to get him straight, even though he got killed though. Cause, cause after that, we he didn't. We took care of our business, but we built a bunker. We built all the bunkers and stuff. And and and, and he was on. He was outside on the bunker, and we had a a, a motor attack. Everybody jumping in the bunker, but he stayed on top of the, on the bunker. He got killed, not paying attention. Was it hard to form friendships or, or bonds with some guys knowing that there's a potential that the next day they might be gone? Well, some guys was had different opinions about different people, like black and white. Some guys didn't like black and all this kind of stuff, even though... You know, we was in a war, but they still had, they had, they still had that, ten, that, that tension, you know, and it didn't make no sense to me, you know, because a lot of guys didn't want nobody to tell them nothing, no matter what it was. There ain't nobody telling them, hold them up, man. You got to file the orders and stuff, you know, because we all in this together, but we got to file the orders. If you tell me something and I think you know what you're talking about, I'm going to follow you. But if you, you know, if, if I tell you something and you don't listen and you get killed, they're going to look at me and say, he didn't listen. As an African-American being in a position of, you know, a, a squad leader while you were out there, 
Um, did you find that there was a lot of pushback against, you know, against your orders or against you know, yes. you're trying to lead? Yes. But like I said, people from different parts of the country. I'm from the South. Different parts of the country, they had a lot of racism. You know? And it was, it was bad because that's the way I was raised. You know, I mean, we supposed to love each other. We might have said, God made you the way you is. He made me the way we is. It, it could, I tell people all the time, I say, how would he look if I come out of my house and come out and see you? And look, you looking like me. That's scary. I mean, I can't look at you and look at me and say, whoa, what kind, of, what kind of diversity that is? I mean, God made diversity for a reason. And we got to get along as people. They can't be looking at because you black and I'm white. No way. Or fans. No, ain't nothing to do with that. We got to show love to each other. And that's what it's all about. You know what I'm saying? Even in the world, we you got even outside the world, we got to show love to people. Definitely. You yeah, know what com- combat's hard enough when you've got to worry about right. one enemy, let alone two. Somebody you shooting know? behind you, your own people shooting, shooting you. For what? Because they don't like you? Uh-uh. What is that? That's crazy, you know? But life is like that. All right, we'll be right back in a few minutes with uh, Paul and Chris from talking about Vietnam Veterans Day. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Mike Richmond of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs with this message for veterans. If you're a veteran having thoughts of suicide or know of a veteran at risk for taking their own life, Call the new Veterans Crisis Line number, 988, then press 1. It's available 24-7. This shorter, three-digit number provides an easier-to-remember way to access the Veterans Crisis Line, which links to over 500 VA suicide prevention coordinators. Suicide prevention is VA's top clinical priority, and in the words of VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, during a crisis, every second counts. This new number, he says, makes it easier for veterans and those who care about them to reach life-saving support without having to be enrolled in VA benefits or health care. For more information, go to VeteransCrisisLine.net. That's VeteransCrisisLine.net. I'm Mike Richman. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related health care news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Paul and Chris. We're talking about Vietnam Veterans Day, and uh, Paul is sharing with us his stories and his, his experience in Vietnam. Uh, so, Paul, when you were coming back from Vietnam, you spent 13 months there. What was it like, first of all, what went through your mind when you found out you were coming home, and what was it like when you got home? What, what what went through my mind when I was coming home? I was kind of happy, but then flying back, the 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 the, the, the airplane pilot was kind of flying low, and everybody was trying to tell him, uh, 
bring it up a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But he, he was cool, everything was good. But when I got back when I got back home and I landed in uh well I landed in Washington, I think, the people was crazy. You were in Washington DC? I think I no, not well, I mean, let me try to think, wait. Seattle? Not DC. Like Seattle, 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 Seattle. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, Seattle. And the people was crazy. They called us baby killers and all kind of names. They were throwing stuff at us, spitting on us, and, and all this foolishness, you know what I'm saying? We just come back from Vietnam, and they they, they treating us like, I don't know what they were treating us like, because the people, the, the people just went wild with the, we were killing babies over there. You know what I'm saying? They didn't realize the baby was trying to kill us. So one thing I, I, I kind of picked up on uh, in, in the last segment, you know, when you talk about joining the Army, because you were very patriotic at the time. Yes. Um, that kind of tells me that there was a time where then you you maybe felt that your your you weren't as patriotic about your service. Um, how how did that change? When was that something based off of your experiences in country, or like when you just got back and you know you went to war and people are throwing things at you? All that, all combination, of all that, because of the fact. I'm going back, I'm going overseas, I'm feeling gone home, I'm fighting for my country. I'm coming back treated like a second-class citizen, you know what I'm saying? They're talking about me, they're calling me all kind of names and all this foolishness and throwing stuff at me and spitting on me and all this foolishness. And it wasn't the same when I come home. It was different because I got treated different by not only my the people, but the, my family was, didn't, didn't really understand who I was when I come home because I was... I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I had a problem with medical, mental, mental stuff, and people didn't understand what was going on. They say it was psychosomatic. Imagine them hurting, and imagine them going to. I said, man, you just understand. I just come from a war, man. You know, I was what, 20, 21, whatever. I, I don't forget how old it was, but you know, I don't know. And coming home, and it's a different, it's a different thing. Did, did that treatment kind of change your view of your own service? Because I know plenty of people who are very proud to, you know, there's a lot of proud veterans out there, right? And, and no matter what era they served in, no matter what their experiences were, combat, non-combat, you know, you, you think of combat veterans as a very, very proud group. But well, did that kind of be, behavior towards you kind of change your view of your own service? No, it didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't change the view of it, my my serving and the other veterans. Cause that's how we got along. We got along with more veterans. Cause we got together. Cause I went to school. I started going to trade school when I come home. I went to trade school for cooking, and we had a, a camaraderie in the trade school. All the veterans got together, and we did our thing. You know, we we were smoking and drinking and stuff like that. You know, cause that's the only thing we could find some kind of peace. Cause the people didn't understand what was happening, what we was, what we did. Cause even though, like I said, my family, they called me baby killers and stuff. They didn't understand cause they, they said the babies, the people were killing, we were killing babies. Well, the baby was trying to kill us. You know what I'm saying? So y'all gotta understand, we in the wall. So your own family was treated were treated. Yeah, like cause that. they didn't understand what I went through. They thought, you know, I don't know what they thought. I don't know what they thought, really. So your uncle, who experienced war in, in Korea. He didn't understand, or he wasn't able to, to empathize with you. Well, my uncle, he was, he cha he changed, cause uh, his one of his sons, his, his second oldest son, his oldest son, he was went a another route and stuff. But his, 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 the other son, he joined the service because I joined, and he was mad with me because I was smoking weed. 
know what I'm saying? And he told my son, his son, that I enticed him to smoke weed and all that. You know what I'm saying? And that they put me in a li- in a label, in a category. You know what I'm saying? You you you're a pothead. You're a drunk alcoholic and all this foolishness. You know, hey, I just come out of war. What you think? I'm supposed to be normal? You know? But people didn't understand what kind of person I was. You know? I kept me a good job. I kept me a job that worked on the after after work for uh, went to school for cooking. I got a job working at a hotel, and I met Phyllis Diller, you know, the comedian, and she wanted me to pay, uh, cook for her. She, she wanted to pay me to cook for her, because every time I go to New Orleans, every time she come to New Orleans, she would call, because me and her start talking to each other, and she called me up and, and asked me to come cook for her. She wouldn't let nobody else cook for her but me. So you found some opportunities once you got back. Yes, you know, plenty you, of It wasn't like you came back and you just sat at home, you, you went out there and you really tried to, to try to reacclimate. Um, you know, were you able to kind of compartmentalize some of the, the, the PTSD that you had? No, because I didn't really understand it. I didn't, they didn't, the, 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 the VA and the doctors, they didn't, they didn't understand either. They were saying all kind of other stuff. Like, for instance, I went to the doctor one day with my family, my mother and all them, and we're sitting at the table they asking me about the table. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me body. You know, they tell me, but I don't know what no table for. They hot. Well, you don't know what a table for? Table for eating food on it. I ain't want nobody no table, man. I want to know what's wrong with me. See what I'm saying? But they didn't understand that. And that's the problem was, and and I, I didn't understand what was happening with me. PTSD, I didn't know I had no PTSD. You know, you know I, didn't, I didn't understand it until later. When did you, I guess, find out what PTSD was, or when were you able to have it diagnosed? Uh, ooh, much later. I can't remember the exact time, but they told me what it was. They said, man, you, you suffer with PTSD. PTSD? What's that? And they told me, you know, and I still couldn't wrap my, my mind around it. You know, I didn't really diagnose it, because when you go to fighting the war, you're fighting, you're killing people, and they kind of kill you. Even if the baby, and that had a shock on you. You know, you, you first, first not killed was a woman. And that was a shock in itself. You know, because if I'd have, I, in other words, I, I panicked because I didn't shoot her right away. She come out of surprise. She, she panicked too. But I would get the drop on her because I was able to drag quicker. But and was, know, she, was she a combatant? Was she trying to kill you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, you know, and that's, the, that's the, that thing of war, it's war. I mean, people don't understand what really war is about. Somebody trying to kid take you out, you trying to take them out. You're in the war. Was yeah. it after, you know, after that happened, was it something that you had to kind of recount in your mind? Yes, sir. Because uh, I thought about it, and it, it, I used to have nightmares about this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? After I kill her, I kill some more people. They did. When I come home, and that that's when the problem started. I'd wake up at night, three, four o'clock in the morning, and jumping and screaming hard. That when I would get up and roll me a joint, smoke me a joint, go outside, smoke me a joint, drink me a beer, and sit on the step for a minute. Come back inside. I had the the, the, the TV on. I'd be the volume be low, but the, the, the record box would be on. I'd be sitting in the dark. I just gave my mother a lot of times because she didn't understand what was going on with me. I was just. It was one of them experiences. You gotta you really understand. You can't talk about it. You gotta understand. You're going through this to understand exactly what's happening. And did that have like a long-term effect on your 
you know, reacclimation. You know, you, you said that you were able to to get into a you know cooking school and you were you know cooking for Phyllis Diller and everything. Uh, but like long term, did that start to to have an effect on you? Yes, sir. You know, because uh, it's a lot of stuff going on with the, the trying to get the VA, trying to get medical attention and stuff like this, and trying to uh, figure out exactly what's wrong with me. You know, but uh, I understand now you being in the war and you you you. you your your mind and everything is is re reacting to that, see, and then you you know I mean people, you you're trying to get along with people, but people is not trying to get along with you. They're talking about you crazy. They're talking about you. They they say you lost your mind and all this foolishness, and you're trying to deal with all that. And it's a hard it's a hard thing to deal with, you know, because there's too much stuff was going on. Especially for me as a black man, because uh, I was smoking weed, like I say. You know what I'm saying? I was smoking weed and I was drinking alcohol. But uh, 1974, I was arrested for marijuana, five joints. It, at the time, it was a misdemeanor. And 10 years later, 1984, I was arrested again for the same amount of marijuana. And they tried to make me an informant at the time. And because I didn't do that, they gave me a fault partner. See, that was uh, selling heroin. He was a heroin dealer and a user, but he got 10 years for testifying against me. They gave me life and 50 for this. You know what I'm saying? And that had me a major effect on my life. I mean, locked up. I went to prison for life and 50. And... Angola, Louisiana, that's because I'm from Louisiana, and Angola, Louisiana at the time was the, one of the deadliest prisons in the world. So they put you in a, a prison in Louisiana for a lifetime sentence? Life and 50. Life and 50. Yes, sir. For drug possession. They say I was selling, I was selling heroin. They say I had, they say I had uh, what, four bags of heroin. Now... You said that that's not that wasn't true or that, that no that, that was you just didn't have that. somebody they gave me a, in other words they gave me a foul partner the guy who was a drug dealer and a user and he testified because he was a a police a police informant and the police five police officers say they had made a, a surveillance where I, me and him was in the grocery store and we transacted this action and they seen it they they riding around the grocery store and they seen us transacting in the grocery store. You know, and that—how you gonna see a, somebody transacting something in, in the growth with people at, at buying groceries and stuff, and and nobody say nothing but y'all. So, how difficult was it then getting used to the prison culture? You know, coming from being a veteran. I mean, '74, you're only a couple years removed from your time in the army. I didn't get used to it. I was able to adjust to it. See, it's a difference. Cause a lot of guys was they 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 they, they got used to it and they settled. I couldn't settle that. Uh, I couldn't settle being a prisoner for something I didn't do. And they got guys in there always telling me about what they gonna do, man, and stuff like this. You know, cause you, when you first go to prison, you put they, they they call you a fresh fish. And you gotta prove yourself as a man. You know what I'm saying? So, so when you got there, were there other Vietnam veterans? I think they had a few. You know, and they were in there for different other things. But most of them is in there for drugs. Now, knowing other Vietnam veterans from both your time in service and now working, you know, in, in groups with other veterans, 
Um, do you find a lot of them ran into the trouble into trouble with the law? Yes, sir. Reason why? Because uh, people didn't really understand us as veterans coming up from Vietnam. I mean, I look at the World War One and Two and Korean War, and it got better. It got better uh, receptions from day war time than, than Vietnam veterans did. They call us all kind of names and everything. The media painted a picture of us, especially black GIs, you know what I'm saying, that we wouldn't wait, we wasn't worth nothing. We were no good, we were this, that, and the other. And, and the people just took took hold of that and ran with it. So when they seen veterans, they just, it was a whole different, no ball, no ball, ball game for us, you know? And, and it hurted me because I felt like I don't know what the problem was, but I don't. I didn't, I didn't really care. I didn't didn't understand that. You know what I'm saying? And 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 by me turning myself to the Lord, that helped me to overcome stuff. So when I went to I went to Angola, I didn't have no fight after after 19 years, no fight for nobody. You know what I'm saying? A lot of stuff happened. They talked to me crazy, but I talked to them crazy too. You know what I'm saying? Even security officers would tell me some crazy stuff. They gonna lock me up. I said, man, I got life in fit. How you gonna lock me up? You know what I mean? They try themselves to threaten me, you know what I'm saying? And do somebody, what they gonna do me? I'm gonna do you this, I'm gonna do you that. I said, what I'm gonna be doing when you're doing me that sleeping? I mean, um, I made it, I was letting them know I was defiant in that position, even as a kid. I said, defiant, because I'm not gonna go through this. I'm not gonna let you do me this. You know, I'm already angry by being in here for something I didn't do, but that's not deal with that. We deal with a man on man, you know? It's not about no, no whatever you call yourself doing, talking about making me out of, uh, a woman, hey, you crazy, you know? So when you, you released after 19 years, um, you were probably, what, in your late 40s, 50s, maybe? When I got out, I was 38. Okay. What was it like readjusting, coming back into uh, the world now as a Vietnam veteran and as, you know, a the, former the whole, prisoner? The, the whole thing was crazy. Because when I got out, First thing happened, my, my family had moved on me. So I had to find out where they stayed. And, and the bus system was changed. Everything was changed. I was all confused by life now. I'm confused by everything. Well, I used to catch the bus to go home. I had to go further down and stuff like that. And the, and the, and the, and the, the city was all together different. And I had to readjust to that. Then I had to get a job. I couldn't get a job because uh, I'm a convicted felon now. See, and uh, it was crazy. I had to had to get a job. I had to pay uh, restitution to my parole officer. I ain't like that. That was messed up, and I, I felt like I just got thrown away. But like I said, having a, a relationship with God helped me adjust to it stuff and help me understand things better. Not from the people point of view, but from my perspective, because I had to deal with me. You know, I had to find out who I really was. And and, 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 the, and the, the, the picture they painted of me, I didn't like that, that, that person. You know? So now that you're living here in Vegas, so when, you, when you got out, you said you, you moved back to New Orleans and you lived there and you, you moved here um, in the mid-2000s. When did you get involved with the the Vietnam Veterans Support Group here at the VA. Oh, let me see. I can't remember that far back. Let me see. Hold on. Well, it's, it's been a while. You've been here. Yeah, you've been doing been, it for a while. It's been a good minute. I don't know how long it's been. But uh, the first time I got involved with the, the, the veterans is on, on uh, Orange. Mm -hmm. And 
the first time I got in there, we was talking. I didn't, I didn't really, really, I wasn't loose. I was still tight enough that I ain't gonna open my, open up to nobody because I ain't try, really trust nobody. But after a minute or two, I heard some stories and dudes telling me, I said, oh, yes, I like me. So I started opening up a little bit at a time. Everybody started opening up. That's how we got to know each other a little better. You know what I'm saying? And uh, going to the meetings helped me get my, my 100% and stuff like that, and and I'm doing much better now. You know, I'm, my life my life is full on. I tell people, I say, uh, you excuse me, cause I got. I'm very emotional, so you know, I'm you know, and my life is my best. This is my best life now. You know, I'm 76 years old. This may 77, be 77 in December, but I'm grateful to be alive. And uh, I tell, I thank God for life. I thank God for people. No matter how they treat you, I still treat them with love and respect. Cause that's the, that's what God telling me to do as a man. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what people how people treat you, and how you treat them. You know, I tell people, I say, whatever you go through in life, it doesn't matter what you go through. It's how you come out what you go through mm-hmm. that makes a better person in life. Cause I mean, see, now today, I cry about everything. Like I said, I'm very emotional. I hate to see somebody do get treated bad, injustice, all this kind of stuff. I hate that, mm-hmm. you know. And I try to share God's love with everybody I see. You know what I'm saying? It don't always work, but I'm still gonna do what He tell me to do. That's what I. That's what I got to do. And that's what my my focus now. You know, treat everybody the way I want to be treated. I gotta love and respect everybody. I don't care what you how you treat me. I'm. A, I know I gotta treat you. That's how I was able to make it through prison life. You know what I'm saying? Because I just tell them all the time, dude, tell me, I'm going to do you something. I say, God bless you. I love you. What you mean you love me? You figure that I'm gone. I ain't got to explain that. See what I'm saying? I mean, genuine love, you ain't got to explain that. You know, after a while, you're going to see where I'm coming from. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, you know, when I was born, I was born a man child. You know, and go from there. I learned from my family. I learned from experiences. That's how you learn. You learn from experiences you go through. And when you Learn from experience, you put what you learn to effect to help other people not to go through the same experience. That's my purpose now. To help other people, not only black folks, but any anybody, any young man, I don't want them to see go to go through no prison life for nothing. Even if they do something, they still gotta learn from this stuff. You know, you 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 gotta learn from something. And you know, having that support group to be able to talk about those experiences and you know, teach these lessons that you've learned to other people I mean that's that's really critical uh, Chris we've, <laughs> we've we've had Paul an incredible story Chris um, we obviously are uh, want to talk to you as well as you know the person who's in charge of the support group you are also a veteran yourself and you also yeah. served in the army as an infantryman yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> so getting a chance to talk to veterans like Paul mm-hmm. you know who went through the experiences that they had in Vietnam. You know, what does it mean to you to be able to, to, to hear those stories? You know, I can relate to it, but the biggest thing um, is that I'm always constantly, uh, I'm also, I'm always constantly telling them that I thank them because without their hardships, unfortunately, and the experiences that they experienced, uh, we wouldn't necessarily have the things that we have. We wouldn't be able to 
reap a lot of the benefits. They put the work in for it, and we are able to accept and get all these great things. So I all my like every time, I always say my hats off to you guys. I appreciate you guys because without that, we wouldn't have the experiences that we have. The VA made a lot of changes based on the Vietnam era. You know, when when the Vietnam era came back, you know there was so much hardship with mental health that they even set up the veterans uh the vet center it was the vet centers that 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 the vet vietnam veterans were going to and they designed those specifically for the vietnam vets so like one of the criteria is is that you have to have been a combat veteran in order for you to go to the vet center and so because of because of those things you know, we, we reap that. So whenever we're in group, we have those kind of discussions. And then my experience as a veteran myself and hearing theirs, it's just so identical. You know, the, the things that we do, the only difference, uh, like I was saying earlier, was pretty much the terrain and the time and year. That's about it. You know, you, as somebody who came back from, from their combat experience in an environment where there was a lot of support, right, right? In, in a lot of ways... Uh, in response to the experiences in Vietnam. Um, how, how does that make you feel as a, as a VA counselor to now be able to provide that support back, even to, to folks like Paul, that, you know, it's, it's 50 years after his combat experience, but now, now you're there for him. Right, absolutely. It's an it's a honor. It's a pleasure. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're just happy that you're able to be there for him. It's almost like a payback. It's like, hey, you guys did this, but now this is what we're going to do for you, you know? And, and we always stress that us OEFYF veterans, you know? Um, I know sometimes we have our military camaraderie where we might talk trash and, you know, beat around the bush or whatever, but uh, nine times out of 10, you know, we're, we're always having this connection in this building. Uh, based on the errors and we always are exchanging stories like you know we heard Paul's story earlier about some of the experiences that he's experienced and we would talk about our experiences that we went through and it's just this constant camaraderie and this constant building and here we are uh, how many decades apart but yet we're, we're still bonding and connecting based on our experiences I just think it's a beautiful thing honestly yeah yeah and I, I... I'm grateful to be able to hear your story, Paul, because it, it gives me a, a newfound appreciation. I mean, not only for what you guys went through, but for, you know, the luxuries that we have going through. Because, like you said, I mean, I came home from Afghanistan and, you know, there was a USO and they were giving out chocolates and everything like that. And it was, you know, I, I, I can't imagine having, you know, the reception that, that you had to experience and then having to go through those things. So, um, you know. I think I hope that we're making strides as a you know as a nation as a society to, to make some changes with those things. But um, you know it's important that that we learn from mistakes that we made in the past. And you know I'm I'm so grateful for you sharing your story with us, Paul. Well, the thing is, is you learn from mistakes you make, right? And 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 the people that affect like me, it affected me. But when I went through, but I don't hold no grudge against no one. You see what I'm saying? Like I said, I got to show love to people. And if it's going to help somebody else, that's a good purpose. See what I'm saying? Even though I went through some negative things and it hurt, it still hurt. You ain't going to never get over the hurt. But the thing is, I can deal with the fact that there's a reason why everything happened. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing we know is that God knows the reason why stuff happened. 
You know what I'm saying? We don't know, but he know the reason. So if we could understand the reason we go through stuff and help somebody else from, from going through the same thing you've been through in a different way, understand, hey, there's a purpose behind this stuff. So now, if, if we're going to show love to each other and, and, and be a better country, that's what it's all about. You know, it's not about the black, white, the blue, or whatever. It's about commodity to each other. You know, we all veterans. If we don't have, they've got people that's not veteran, they're helping them understand what a veteran's been through. See? And respect a veteran as a veteran. Don't put no veteran, don't put them in the category. Mm-hmm. There's not no category to fight no war. No category to go into prison for something you didn't do. There's not no category. It's a negative thing. You know what I'm saying? But if you learn from the things you go through, and put some fact, help somebody else not to go through the same thing. You did, you copied something. That's what it's all about. Well, Paul and Chris, thank you both so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Paul, thank you for sharing your story yes, again. Um, and of course, for all the Vietnam veterans out there who are listening, um, happy Vietnam Veterans Day on March 29th. Uh, thanks, folks, for listening, and we will see you guys in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.